This podcast with Steve Hers is brought to you by Don Green, the Executive Director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. Please listen to podcast number 787, where Don and Greg speak about the Napoleon Hill Foundation's new book entitled Success, Discovering the Path to Riches. In their interview, Don discusses the fact that success is measured in many different ways, and you will learn about the 15 other steps to success discussed in the Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill. I hope you enjoy this interview with Napoleon Hill's Foundation Director, Don Green. Now enjoy our featured interview on Inside Personal Growth with Steve Hers, the author of a new book entitled, Don't Take Yes for an Answer. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Steve, as I do every time I come on one of these shows, you know, doing this for 14 years, you have to thank the listeners out there and the people that come in through all the various channels we have now. We are now on uh, 11 channels. And I have joining me uh, from New York, right, Steve? Correct, New York. New York, don't take yes for an answer using authority, warmth, and energy to get exceptional results. Steve Hertz. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. Really happy to be here. Appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. Well, I want to thank you because you've written a book and you've written a book that your wife actually encouraged you to write because people, I remember reading that in the foreword. I want to thank her. Because uh, it's a great book and it's an opportunity for people to actually make a change in how they're perceived by the, all the other people out there, right? You've been a talent management agent for a long time. And I'll let my listeners know, Steve's a 26-year industry vez, uh, veteran. He's the president of Montag Group. Prior to joining TMG, Steve was the president and founding partner of IF Management. Steve received his bachelor's degree in political science from the University of Michigan and his JD from Vanderbilt University uh, Law School. He started his career working for athletes and artists before transitioning into working as a commercial litigation attorney. And in 1996, Steve left the commercial litigation to start IF Management. And he has been there now 20 years. He's involved with many charities, including serving on local leadership council of the Birthright Israel. Steve also has been a volunteer uh, tutor to Horizon High School, and uh, he lives in New York City, Upper West Side of New York, with his wife and two children. Well, Steve, pleasure having you on the show, and it's an honor having you here to speak with our listeners, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, you know... As I always think about this, you know, I watch the evening news and I always look at the telecasters, you know, like Nora O'Donnell and uh, people like that out there and this, how those personalities become what they are. And um, I was wondering if you would just give our listeners like I'm an overview because these are the kind of people that you've represented uh, for for most of your life. And these are the kind of people that you've been hanging out with for a lot of your life to basically negotiate their contracts and do what you do. What is it that makes somebody like a Nora O'Donnell different than anybody else? Well, 
Look, I think there's a lot of paths to success. And I think someone like Nora O'Donnell really earned her stripes as a White House reporter. She got a lot of notice at NBC News and developed a pretty good reputation for herself as someone who could break stories and you know, cover hard news and get to the bottom of things and very trusted source for viewers. And so I think a lot of it is hard work. And yep. I think CBS was attracted to her for that reason. They wanted to hire someone they thought was a kind of a big name, someone who's young, attractive, someone who could sit next to Charlie Rose. And that, I think, was the thinking when they originally hired her to host the morning show. So, um, you know, look, there's a lot of different variables that go into success. And obviously hard work and relationships are a huge component of it. Right. Now, my book really doesn't get into that as much because I'm writing for the person who I think hasn't necessarily reached his or her potential, which in my view mm-hmm. is everybody on earth. And yet, right. um, you know, so there's, there's this one thing that you may not be doing in addition to hard work and building relationships that, uh, that may be holding you back. That's, right. that's sort of the premise of it. Well, that is the premise of the book, and that's a good place to start. And you, in your book, you speak about style over substance. And you mentioned that you get a lot of pushback when people suggest that one's style of connecting and soft skills get them further in life than their substance. And, you know, I think we all are born into families. We're all born a little bit different. I have one son who's an engineer and the other's a real estate broker and the real estate broker, super outgoing young man and the the software engineer, very reserved, you know, but you speak with our listeners about the importance of soft skills and how to hone them because, you know, I see people with soft skills and they can almost be friends with anyone. Exactly. Exactly. And listen, you know, my view is that, uh, Anybody, no matter what level of success you have, can be more successful. So the idea is that if you have better soft skills, stronger soft skills, uh, it, it doesn't take away from your hard skills. And I think a lot of people only necessarily, like, you know, the way we're raised, a lot of us are, you know, the high achieving society that a lot of us are immersed in. And I think a lot of the people that will be attracted to my book, they, they start off in, in first grade or kindergarten or even before that, who can learn to read the best and who can be at the fourth grade level in, four, in first grade and on and on and on. And then mm-hmm. comes the SAT tutors and the gifted programs and the, 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 the push to get into the top schools, the Ivy Leagues and all the schools in that level. And then it's what graduate school can you get into? And then from there, it's what law firm or what, uh, residency program and and uh, and everything that I'm talking about are these markers for life that are based on these hard skills in terms of the academic achievements and what I would call coloring in the lines right coloring inside the lines and those right. are important to get you what I would call a seat at the table of the table of the you know the kind of table you want to be sitting at in the field that you want to be in and that's a very very uh, high barrier to entry to a lot of these tables but the point of this book is that a lot of you who are going to read it, hopefully, are already at the table. You've gotten there. You've gotten past that very high bar to get an engineering job or a job as a doctor, lawyer, or executive, whatever it might be, or you're on your way to it. And I think what you're doing at your own peril is you're not realizing that what got you over the first bar is not going to get you to the second bar. And you know that expression, what got you here won't get you there, is really applicable in terms of the weakness that you may have in your soft skills area may really come back to 
really limit you in your upside mobility professionally. And yeah. a lot of people don't think I about think that, that, and they don't know is, why. Well, and your book is written for the person that's trying to figure that out, right? And um, I want to ask you this question, because early on in this book, you use you talk about dispelling this myth about the seven thirty-eight fifty-five rule. Uh, and I thought this was kind of interesting. So what is the misunderstanding there? I mean, I'd never heard of it before. And I guess I bet you, you heard the rule or the misunderstanding. Never heard of the rule. And I never heard about the misunderstanding. So why don't you clear up both for us? So there, there's this kind of study that was, you know, been going around for a long time about how only 7% of your communication is uh, the way people perceive your communication, your message is 7% based on actually what you're saying. And 38% is related to your tone and 55% is, is, is you know, it's just these other factors. I forget exactly how it breaks down, but it's your tone, your body language, your, your, your physicality, your voice, et cetera. And I think some people have said that that's really not, I mean, you can't really prove that that's an exact uh, figure. So the, the later figures that they talk about is 20%. Only 20% of your message is based on your actual communication content. But the point is really, it doesn't matter whether it's 7% or 20% or even 50%, is that there's mm-hmm. this giant window of you that's not about what you're saying. It's all about how you're saying it in, in your tone and your physicality and your voice quality, your volume, your variability, these things, keeping the listener compelled to hear it, want to hear you because right. you're varying your pitch and pace and volume and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think the vast majority of people, they never ever stop to think about these things and how that might not only be impacting them, but the impact or the lack of impact they have on the world because of a weakness that they have in that area. Yeah. I loved one of the examples you used about somebody who was going to do a speech and had eaten lunch before and had spinach hanging from the tooth. Right. And uh, Mm -hmm. I thought that was a good little story because the question was, were you going to be able to compel and move the audience uh, regardless of the fact they might be looking at the spinach on your teeth, right? <laughs> I thought that was mm-hmm. a good story. Now, you state that if we joined the workforce in the last 35 years, that we probably rarely have gotten the feedback that we need and that we have likely grown accustomed to getting more praise than we deserve. If you would, to the listeners out there, speak with us about the three forces conspiring to inflate, I'm going to just say, our egos, because that's what's really happening versus us getting real with what's going on? Well, as I say in the book, there are three things that have happened. This is not uh, really debatable. I'm not really breaking any new ground. I'm just putting it all in one context. The first is this great inflation, massive great inflation, that the average GPA has risen by almost one full point in the last 35, 40 years. So what used to be a 2.0 is now a 3.0 and so forth. That a lot of universities and high schools don't want to give or don't give out C's to students because A, they don't want to, and B, they don't want to get the pushback from the parents and the students who are very aggressive now in social media culture. And universities don't want to do that because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a consumer first product now, college in a lot of ways. They rely on the U.S. News and World Report rankings, and part of that is based on how happy the students are, and students are going to be happier with higher grade point averages. 
So that's part of it. And the second thing is the participation trophy culture, which I've talked about, is fine in some respects, but it's been substituted for an MVP trophy. What we think of as a participation trophy, people really perceive to be getting the MVP trophy. So there's that inflated sense of self based on it. You think you came in first place because you got a participation trophy. Well, no, you didn't. You just showed up. And um, the third thing, which is kind of dangerous, I think, in terms of the three pillars here that I'm talking about, is HR departments not really wanting to fire people, certainly with any degree that they used to. They will use any kind of euphemism, whether it's you've been downsized or reorged or rift reduction in forces. Um, You know, it's the old line, "It, it, it wasn't you, it's me. We're letting you go, but it's because of us. Well, that's sometimes true, but often it's not true. And the reason why right. you are on the wrong end of a reorg or a downsizing is because they don't like you for X, Y, Z reason. You weren't good enough at the job. And what I try to say in the book is it might also just be that you were just as good as everybody else, but you didn't communicate well, and therefore you didn't develop the relationships you needed to. You didn't win the day with your arguments because you didn't have the authority and you weren't energizing other people. So when they had to choose between letting go of 10 people, you're on the wrong end of that equation. Well, and, you know, all of this soft skills and our critical thinking skills and all of these things that we use to master whatever it is we're doing are so important. And I think that what you are telling people in this book is so important. And you suggest that people enable the voice and video function on their smartphone or their iPad and that they do it more often so that they speak with Ah, A-W-E, authority, um, prep. Uh, so speak with our listeners, if you would, about what you reference in the book is authority prep. Yeah, I think it's just the ability to have the awareness and be prepared to know how you're going to sound in a particular setting before you go into that setting and eventually practice it so much that it becomes second nature for you that you're not really thinking about your voice. If you have a higher pitched voice that's compromising your authority, and that's not your natural voice actually, it's just a bad habit that you've picked up over many years, which a lot of people do, that you might learn how to breathe better and how to bring the the vocal quality lower into your diaphragm with better breathing. And therefore, you'll have more authority around yourself. And the opportunity to use the video or audio playback function is something that's going to give you that feedback in what I would call the low impact moments of your life where it doesn't matter so much if you don't come across with a lot of authority. And yet it still gives you that opportunity to do what I would call batting practice and then build on that. Same thing is true with the video. You can see, and and I've seen this in myself over just doing it myself over the last few years in, in writing the book and taking my own advice. My posture sometimes can be poor. I can lean over at times. I don't smile enough. So you see this back on your own video. And once it becomes very aware to you, then you can start to improve upon it. Yeah. And I think anybody who is in front of the public or even in small groups, you know, how you handle yourself in large audiences, mid-sized, small groups is so important. You know, you even talk about dress in the book, you know, but you state in your chapter on commanding authority, and I love this, would England have endured World War II without the stirring the order of Woodrow or of Wilson, Winston Churchill? Would India have in, uh, achieved independence without the steady resolve of Mahatma Gandhi? 
How would you advise our listeners about speaking with authority? I mean, when you hear old tapes of Mahatma Gandhi uh, or Winston Churchill, you notice these long pregnant pauses in, in both of those gentlemen. And it's, they're making a point. You know, when you watch old reels of a lot of people that were either on the news then or whatever, I noticed that they spoke with more diction. They spoke, they spoke uh, slower. Uh, what is this, uh, what you would call speaking with authority? Well, it's, it's, it's a lot of things. It's finishing your sentences. It's believing what you're saying. It's having the conviction to basically sell yourself on the idea before you go out there and tell, talk to other people about it. It's having a strong voice, both in terms of your diction, your resonance, vocal quality, your pitch level. It's understanding that it's not using filler words. A lot of people say, um, like, as you know, and mm -hmm. your point about Winston Churchill, instead of saying filler words, he did use the pregnant pause to great mm -hmm. effect. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, look, authority can't stand on its own. I mean, if you're just an authority figure or an authoritative speaker and you don't have a way to connect with your audience, then you become an, what I would call an authoritarian, not an authority. And you don't want to be an authoritarian. And I talk about warmth in the book, so I just jump ahead for a second here because it's important. These things don't work alone. They work in tandem with other things. So if you speak with authority and you pause, and you then kind of lower your voice a little bit, you're letting the listener in, hey, the last sentence was performance, right? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. And then the next sentence is, you know, lowering the voice a little bit, letting your audience in. I, I was talking about this last night about how uh, former President Obama gave one of his best speeches when he said, you know, we're not blue state America, we're not red state America, we're the United States of America. And then he quickly paused and let his voice down. You listen to I Have a Dream, Martin Luther King, he does that to incredible. Yeah, effect. yeah. But I just want to add one other thing that you kind of referenced earlier, but I want to really hammer this point home to your listeners. So I think it's my, one of my most important points in the book is that most of us don't really ever speak to large audiences in our lives. And yet our success hinges on our ability to speak to small audiences, audiences of one or two. So I mm -hmm. talk about in the book, this distinction between public speaking versus private speaking. And it's my contention that private speaking is actually a lot more important than public speaking. Because if you can't master private speaking, then you'll never get a chance to public speak. And mm -hmm. so that, that's a skill that I think everybody should think about really mastering. Yeah, you know, it is uh, important that people learn not only in these small groups, whether it's they're at the boardroom or they're in a small meeting, a team meeting, um, how they address the group. And I love this story that you told in the book. Uh, you were just talking about warmth. You call it the seed of trust about the young lady that came into your agencies and how you weren't listening. And you were just trying to kind of push her to sign with your agency. And as a result of that, you never heard from her again. You never signed anything, obviously. Speak with our listeners, if you would, about what we're going to talk about, authenticity, warmth, engaging, and vulnerability in winning someone's respect. 
because Brene Brown on vulnerability is probably someone that how many people have viewed her video now? 10 million, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's such an important quality for people to really understand. I agree. I think she's fantastic and I'm a big fan of hers. I've watched all the videos. So yeah, uh, she's yeah. great. But I mean, when you say this warmth and engaging, when you look at her, you know, here she is a professor at a university. She's basically warm. She's engaging. She's authentic. And she's certainly vulnerable. And what you're saying is at that time with this young lady, you weren't carrying the qualities that you needed to listen. And I think what's important here is about learning how to listen and to do it with those other qualities. What advice would you give the listeners? Well, a couple things. First of all, I think Brene Brown's great. But let's remember, Brene Brown is succeeding on the public stage. And my advice to most people is, I think most people reading this book, again, aren't going to have the platform of Brene Brown. I mean, first, and and she did it well. She had a private practice and did well with her private practice and the consulting people. And then she got the TED Talk. So she had already mastered the art of the private speaking to get to that stage in the first place. And and this mm-hmm. is a 20 year, we're seeing her now after 20 years of hard work, right? Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, I think what I would say to the listener is, it's, you know, when you're in that one-on-one setting or when you're in the small setting, what, what Brene Brown is doing is giving a monologue. You're listening to a podcast and she's the only one talking or you're listening to a TED talk or watching a TED talk, she's the only one doing the talking. There's no interactive quality to it. But your, your communication is gonna be interactive. Um, and if you're, like I was talking to that woman that you talk about who never spoke to me again, is because I was performing a monologue on her rather than having a dialogue. Right. And so I would, I would say to your listeners, listen, be attentive, uh, very, pay careful, attention to how people are reading you and if if you're talking to someone and you're not getting any reaction from them then it means you're talking too much and you're not you're you're running through stop signs so to speak and a stop sign is a blank look on someone's face or a lack of acknowledgement or a lack of nodding or a lack of interaction breathe like you talk about the pause earlier use that pause stop for a second or two and hopefully in that time, they'll say, yeah, I, I, I hear you. Or do I understand you correctly? Or, or they'll nod at you. Anything to indicate that they're interested. But you have to be smart enough to know if they say, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they just give you a blank look and their response is not responsive to what you've said. It's really time to stop and maybe ask them a question. I've said this. Do you right. agree? Or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I just I did a podcast just I think two or three of them ago called the Advice Trap, and I think that's one of the issues is somebody comes to you for advice. The question is, are are you just wanting to solve their problem? Are you really listening? And I think those listening skills are important, and that happens a lot in group small group environments or people are working inside of companies, uh, people looking for advice. But you need to hear the other person. You need to understand them at a very deep level uh, to really be able to engage and be able to take the time to solve the problem. Now you state if we're losing sales or we're struggling to form solid relationships that we need uh, something to turn up the heat. 
you have what you refer to as your warmth cheat sheet. I I love the cheat sheet in the book, and I was wondering if you could just comment on some of the things that are part of the warmth cheat sheet that our listeners could have as a takeaway here uh, to be able to say, hey, you know, Steve gave me some great advice. Here's the way that I can actually change what it is that I do. Well, sure. Well, I, I don't I don't have the book in front of me here. So if you could just just give me I, I don't have the whole thing memorized. Can you just tell me a couple things on there that you want me to talk about, and I'll just run right through them for you. Okay, hang on. Uh, a second. I, never mind. I I I I I found it here. I'm trying to okay. do two things. At Great. Once. So it's on yeah. page um, uh, one hundred nine. Yeah, I, I have it. No, no I have okay. it. I have it. I have it. Sorry about steady that. your um, breath. That's a good one. Yeah. So yeah, like steady your breath. For example, we were talking about earlier with Winston Churchill or former President Obama. If you if you're getting into like monologue territory if you're talking too long then if you stop and breathe and take that pause even if the other person doesn't react even if you are giving a speech it gives you a chance to steady your breath also it gives you a chance to breathe and access the air from deeper into your diaphragm and it will lower your tone so you're not speaking at that high range which we all speak at a higher range in our voice if we're not breathing, if we're just kind of, you know, it's like any musical instrument. If you're squeezing more and more sound out of less and less air, it's going to be higher. It's like the treble on your stereo. Mm-hmm. So that gives your voice more warmth. You can control your volume. So if you're all at one volume level, you know, if, 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 if I have a dream was spoken at that same volume level, he wouldn't be able to build himself up to a crescendo. And you wouldn't be able to bring the audience in and bring them back down and bring them up back up again. You know, your job as a good communicator is to keep your listener off balance. If you become so predictable to them, that's when people tune out from you. Mm-hmm. And you really don't have a lot of tools by which to keep them off balance. You have the volume of your voice, you have your pitch and your pace and your body. And if you can't use those things to affect then people aren't going to feel connected to you. Yeah, and that cheat sheet, I'm going to encourage everybody who gets the book, book, definitely look at it because the list is really good. Warmth in body language, warmth in presence, warmth in your voice tone. tone. I think you've covered them all. Um, And it, it, it is an opportunity for us to get better at what we do and to have our communication be clearer and to be more authentic, and for us to be more vulnerable. So if you follow the advice that Steve's given in the book, you're going to get there. Now, you state the components of energy are conviction, enthusiasm, engagement, and emotional commitment to the message. You say the secret is energy. How would you advise somebody to increase their energy level to get their listeners more engaged with them? I know you were just talking about sometimes you slump over, you looked at yourself, maybe your eyes, the way in which you're looking at the group of people that are with you, the speed and the cadence at which you're delivering. What can we do to actually up that energy level? Well, I think, it, again, it's tied to warmth. Be interested in the subject matter. 
I, I, I just believe that anything on earth can be interesting. Anything. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to learn, if, if I gave you a tour of, of the Tootsie Roll factory, there'd be a million interesting things to learn about. Like, when did the company start? Who runs it? Why did they start using those ingredients? What sales are like? How did they manufacture this? What are they doing with that? You know, uh, how many people work on the factory line? How long does it take to make one? I mean, I just take, I'm just using this by way of example. And mm-hmm. I know people that are, that are like this, and I try to be like this, is that if you really take the opportunity in your conversations to really learn and be curious about the other person and the other person's subject matter, then they're going to feel energized by you because you're going to be very interested in them and people respond to that. And also you are going to be more energetic because just that behavioral way of being and being, I'm getting excited by the way, right now in this podcast, talking to you about Tootsie Rolls and I haven't (laughs) had a Tootsie Roll in probably 20 years. Well, you're going to have to go get some. (laughs) Right. And and, and so I, I, I think People that I really respect, and I, I talk about this guy, Lawrence Epstein, in the book, because he was a lawyer, and he was very successful as a lawyer, and he, he grew up in a casino family in Las Vegas, and he said, you know, if you ever told me I would be running, you know, he's a COO of this company called the UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championship, he said, if you told me I'd be, you know, uh, working in my life and being an executive, it's something that people used to call you know, cage matches, I would have thought you were crazy, but he's into it because he's he's very interested in the subject. And, and I'm telling you, like if, if he left that company tomorrow and uh, some water company hired him as head of bottling, the guy would know everything about bottles in, in the span of, of a month. And you, you'd get, you'd have dinner with him and he'd have you riveted by talking about water bottles, you know, and I'm just picking what it's otherwise a relatively mundane. Well, topic. It- And to add to to that, Steve, I really believe that uh, when you look at the characteristics of people that are entrepreneurs, they're very curious. And curiosity is really, really a big factor in people because that's what helps you start to put the dots together and to come up with solutions and be really engaged and want to learn more and want to dig in. Uh, All of that stuff's important, right? Um, Absolutely, 100%. And you say there's two types of ambitious people, diligent, committed individuals who develop strong reputations for their expertise and effectiveness. And then you say, and diligent, committed individuals who develop strong reputations for their expertise and effectiveness, and also achieve the highest levels of professional and personal success. So in your mind, or as you see it, What's the difference between what you said and those two sentences in the book? The difference is that the second group of people are working no harder than the first group, maybe sometimes not as hard, but they're working smarter because they're doing all the things that the diligent people in in group A are doing, but they're also connecting more with people. So they're engendering more trust in those around them. And over time in the, aggregate, they're going to get more business because of that, or better relationships or more promotions because of that trust. They're going to be perceived as having more authority because they're communicating in a better way with more authority. So they're going to, again, be trusted more and be relied upon more and be perceived as more competent and more leadership material. All the things that most of us strive for in this world. And those opportunities come to those people. And then the third thing is that because they're interested in other people, because they're warm and because they're, 
you know, authority, they, they come across with more authority. They're also energizing other people in the room. And therefore, again, it leads to more responsibility, more leadership opportunities, and just a greater degree of success. And my point is, is if, you, if you're going to work hard and you're going to do all the things to be diligent, why not also do this? Why not? I mean, the research is overwhelming that shows how important it is in one's success. And yet what's startling to me in learning when I wrote this book is that we literally spend almost no resources at all teaching people these things from first grade through graduate school. In kindergarten, you get some of these things on your report card, plays well with others, is a pleasure to have in class, smiles a lot, uh, shares his blocks, you know, things like that. Right. And then we kind of laugh at it and it goes off the report card, but yet companies are promoting people because he plays well with, with others and he shares his blocks. Yes. And, and, you know, that is the difference. And I, I totally concur with you on that because, you know, if you can energize a team, a group, one person, even doesn't matter. We, we, we just talked about that. It doesn't have to be a whole audience, but if you have the ability and the charisma and the uh, opportunity to energize that group, you're going to instill in them some of those same characteristics because they're going to look at it and they're going to say, you know, look, this person's achieving this because of X. So you're setting the example. And I like that. Now, if you were going to leave our listeners with, uh, as it relates to becoming a better you, I'm going to call it, and projecting an engaging, warm, compassionate persona to the world, what would you tell them? I mean, what, look, you've seen a lot of these people come across your agency you placed a lot of them. You know, I look at people like, I'm going to use it again. I'll use another big personality, David Muir. You know, I watch him at night because he's super engaging, you know. But if we're going to aspire to be ourselves, not David Muir, what would you tell us about actually being a better you? Well, I, I don't think that we should use uh, newscasters as role models necessarily, because again, they're they're performing for the public. You're not performing for the public. You're performing right. for yourself and for one other person, two other people in most of your interactions. I would say, just follow the advice of the book, which is, you know, work on your voice, work on your body language, take inventory of yourself. Do you really have the kind of authority about yourself? Are filler words killing you in your communications with people? Are they not just killing you, but are they holding you back? Uh, do you inflect enough when you talk to people? Do you not see the stop signs and run through them? Are you really curiously interested in other people? Do you indicate that in your communication? And do you care about other people? Or do people think you're a selfish jerk narcissist? And is that hurting you because behind your back, people don't want to be around you and they might tolerate you because they have to, but they're certainly not going to be rooting for you. So look, I, I've tried to do something over the last few years is rewrite my emails. I, I edit back my emails and, and notes to people and take out mm -hmm. the word I mm -hmm. as much as possible mm -hmm. and try mm -hmm. to write and communicate from the other person's perspective. And I think the more that you can try to see the world from another person's perspective in your communication, and look, I'm not great at it. I, I'm, I wrote this book, but I need a lot of work like everybody else. Um, the, the better you're going to be. And I just, just the ability to practice this and, and just even the idea of 
changing your emails is something that's easy to get in the habit of doing, that's going to make an impact on people. Even in your tweets, like if you're on social media or your Facebook posts, try, try not to make it about you. Right. I mean, it's just people, people are, everybody cares about one person themselves. And if you realize that your communication is only important as it relates to how other people perceive you, then you'll understand that it's smarter for you actually to tailor your communication towards the other person in mind. That is so true. And um, if I, hopefully I don't mess up this statement, but people, what is that one? I mean, you'll probably come up with it. People don't know how much you care until you, what is that statement? Why am I blanking on it, Steve? And how much you care? I don't know. Maya well, Angelou said people, people don't really remember what you say, but they'll always remember how you make them feel. Right. And how you make a person feel is indicative in your voice, in your tone. It, 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 look, it's your eye contact. You know, we didn't talk about eye contact that much, but I, I, if, if you're talking to someone and, and you're the speaker mm-hmm. and you're not making eye contact, that's a total turnoff. And a lot of people have this bad habit of looking away. So I mean, I've listened to a bunch of your other podcasts and I think a lot of what you talk about is psychological, which is very important. But I'm, in my book, I'm trying to really stay away from that. I'm saying that this is behavioral. And I'm sure there is a, a big psychological component to any kind of change. But, you know, a lot of things that hold people back in their lives are really difficult. And I get it. There's a lot of, you know, underlying issues there. But I'm trying to just give people advice to change really small things that really shouldn't be psychological, right? The idea of going back over your emails and taking out eyes as much as possible shouldn't be psychological. It's just purely mechanical. It is mechanical. It it is mechanical, but when you when you look at what gets us into that particular habit, uh, you find that it does become somewhat psychological. You know, tiny habits with BJ Fogg. It's about changing small, small little habits. You're asking people to do pretty much the same thing, and it doesn't matter if it's weight loss or if it's being a better presenter or it's being better with people. All of that are small, tiny little things you want them to notice and change because it's going to work for their better. Um, And I agree with you on that. And I think it's so important, you know, and whether it comes from the way we uh, got treated when we were a child and we remembered that, so we're angry or we're upset. I think the key is you have to let go and you say that, you know, you've got to let go of some of these old things that don't serve you and look for the things that will serve you for, for you to be better. I mean, that's happening all around the world today as we have going through this pandemic situation. So you have a website, the Montag group, uh, Montag group.com. Montag group, yeah. Where else yep, the do you have a book website for this book? I at do. This point? And okay. And where can our listeners go? We'll put that into the blog and a link for that. Um, where is that blog for that website or that URL? Sure. It's just www.steven, S-T-E-V-E-N-H-E-R-Z.com. Okay. That, that's, that's where you can find out everything about the book, everything about me, uh, articles I've written recently for Entrepreneur and <laughs> Business Insider and Chief Executive and all uh, blogs and things like that. And, and, and also you can follow me on social media through those links that are up there as well. 
We'll um, definitely put really that link know. in. Stephen Herz, it's S-T-E-V-E-N-H-E-R-Z.com. That'll be in there as well. Any special offers for our listeners today? When uh, Is there a free download of a chapter or two, or is there anything at that website in particular you want them to know about? Well, it's funny. We haven't formulated that yet. We're in the process of doing that. But what we're going to do is put together uh, a free kind of booklet with, with some of the basics of the concepts in the book. And Perfect. we're going to offer that to, to anyone who signs up for the email for free. So hopefully that'll be up in the next week or so um, for, your, uh, for your listeners. Great. So for my listeners, we'll put all of these links into the blog. You know how I work. Uh, you've been with me long enough. Thanks for this. Uh, Steve, thanks for uh, spending some time with our listeners this morning talking about don't take yes for an answer using authority, warmth, and energy to get exceptional results. It's a, definitely a worthwhile read for anybody who's working with people. And I would say, even if it's just for the way you work <laughs> and you are in your relationship with your spouse as well. So thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much yourself, Greg. It was really great. And um looking forward to um, connecting with you down the road. It's been really great getting to know you a little bit. This podcast is brought to you by Jane Call, the author of a new book entitled WTF, What Am I Thinking? Please listen to podcast number 788, where Greg and Jane speak about the differences between attachment thinking and reflective thinking and sustaining a state of autonomy. Jane has created a process called WTF that's designed to move you from your automatic repetitive attachment thinking process to one that gets you to think about the negative thoughts that you're repetitively thinking and change to a reflective thinking process which helps you to find who you really are and become free again. If you want to learn more about Jane Collin, her new book called WTF? What Am I Thinking? Please go to www jane j-a-n-e-c-u-l-l dot com where you can learn more about the books that she has written and her online courses i hope you enjoy podcast number 788 with author jane call